You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so glad to be back here in the 602 Club with the one and only Christy Morris. Hello, welcome back. Uh, yeah, it feels good to be hanging out here. Um, we've got, you know, our 10 rings on. Well, I guess I've got five and you've got five. Yeah, we decided to share the 10 rings. So, yeah. Yeah. Teamwork yeah, so basically we can say like wonder powers, uh, you know, ignite kind of thing. Yeah, super yeah. cool. But no, I am. I'm really excited uh, to be back. And of course, always fun uh, when we have a brand new movie to talk about. I, I think it's going to be fantastic um, as we dive into the newest Marvel movie. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And so, um, yeah, super excited uh, to do that. But before we get there, of course, want to do a quick reminder for you. You know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And so uh, if you like the show, please subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes as soon as it drops. Uh, Of course, too, if you really do like the show and you want to spread the news, Man, share us on social media, and you can hit us up with a star rating review over there on Apple Podcasts, and that really does help the show grow. I mean, it, I know it sounds crazy even after all these years, but it still really does make a difference about people finding us in the biggest place that people still get podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can find us on any platform, though, pretty much, that you can get podcasts, which is great. So. You can also interact with us on Twitter. We'd love for your follow and to... Uh, have you mention us and talk to us over there on Twitter at the 602 Club. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. We enjoy talking to people over there as well. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. We've got the listeners only discussion group called the Babel Conference where you can talk to all the listeners of the network from around the world about the different things happening on the network there. And uh, you can just join there on Facebook. Again, it's called the Babel Conference. So just search for it. And of course, you can find us online at trek.fm where you can see all the shows we're doing. Uh, Network's being revamped a little bit. We've got some new things that are going to be coming out soon. So make sure you keep checking that out. And in fact, this week, starting the recording process for that new show here in the 602 Club feed that John Mills and I are going to do is we're going to be revisiting the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe yes. one show at a time, just looking through uh, the lens of how the movies hold up minus all of the hype um, now that we've let them sit for a long time. So we're going to be doing that. So that's going to be really fun. And of course, again... You can go over to the contact section. Maybe if you'd like to ch- send us an email, go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, and that will send an email to Christy and I, and we can talk to you that way. Maybe there's something you'd like to see us cover, um, but uh, we're really excited because we've got new movies that are coming out. So on that, Christy, you know, we're in phase four now of Marvel, and I will say it's interesting because, you know, so many of the the big heroes um, have been kind of put aside because of Endgame, you know, where they ended up. Uh, Tony's dead. Cap's gone. 
things like that. And so now we're uh, getting a, a new group of heroes. And and so I just wanted to ask you, you know, as we get into phase four and um, we are looking at Shang-Chi coming out, I, I wondered, were you excited at all about this movie uh, when you saw the trailers? Did you know anything about the character? Where were you coming into this? So honestly, coming into this was kind of hard for me, as I'm guessing it probably was for a lot of people, because for one, like you were saying, coming off of Endgame um, and everything that we had before, those were not only just a hugely powerful storyline all put together, in my opinion, but also a lot of characters that we've known in society been aware of for a long time. Whereas uh, Shang-Chi is a little bit different, um, not as well known as characters like um, Captain America, for example, or Iron Man um, and, and their backstory, not as well known. So it, it, it kind of come into this, at least for me going, who's this guy, you know, and, and why should I care kind of feeling. Um, so the trailer and everything and what, I, what little I knew about Shang-Chi, I wasn't super excited coming into it, but we'll see maybe after seeing it, things changed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that I'm, I'm there with you in the sense that, and, it, and it's funny that we were kind of in a very similar place because, you know, I know you know the Marvel Universe much better than I do, uh, as I've admitted many a times, you know, that, that um, because, of course, you've read the comics more. I know your husband has read more of the comics as well. So mm-hmm. much more familiar with the characters in the Marvel Universe than I. And so, you know, this is not a character that I'd ever heard of before. And, and then, of course, uh, for me, Kind of coming into this, I I don't think the trailers did an excellent job of selling the movie other than kind of making it look like some kind of Marvel kung fu film, um, which, you know, I I wasn't really understanding as to why I should be excited or, or know this character. And I think that's really interesting. You know, can Marvel continue when characters aren't as well known and, you know, people are just coming in because... In the end, I think majority of people are probably just seeing the movie, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, but it's because it's got the Marvel label on it, right? You know, people mm-hmm. people know the Marvel label, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think, you know, they've built up an audience, and so this, I think, was really a big test as to when and if um, they could get people in just on the strength of the title Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that's that's really fascinating and something I, I think uh, we'll talk about. I do want to talk about at some point. I guess we kind of jump into it right now. But I mean, I think, you know, this is a movie that was released only in theaters. You could not get it on Disney Plus. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you how you felt about that. Did you like the fact that you had to go to the theater to see it or would you have rather have watched it just at home? I love the fact that it was only in the theater because I felt like the price point they had on movies that were streaming at the premium level was Mm -hmm. way too high. Um, I would never pay 30 bucks to stream a movie at home. (laughs) So, yeah, I was excited to go and see it in the theater and I'm glad it was released that way. I'm sure you (laughs) felt the same, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I will say that I absolutely loved the fact that it was just in the theaters. And, you know, what 
The reason I asked that, too, is because what's fascinating to me to see so far um, is that uh, even though Shang-Chi does not make as much in its opening weekend as Black Widow did, it made about $5 million less, um, its second opening weekend, uh, it's made more and it's had less of a drop-off in the sense of like, there was a 67%, almost 68% drop-off for Black Widow. There was only a 54% drop-off for Shang-Chi, which is much more normal uh, for a big opening film. Uh, and I'm s- going to be really interested to see what its staying power is in the theaters. In fact, right now, as of this recording, um, it's about hundred and 20 million behind Black Widow, and it's only been in the theaters now, you know, less than half the time. Mm-hmm. So, this is a movie that's poised to make money. Uh, and so, if anything, I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned from this, not only is that you can't judge a movie by its trailer, mm-hmm. one, I think, but two, stop releasing movies at home and in the theater at the same time, and your movie will make more money. Uh, and so, and make better movies and they'll probably make more money too. Um, because I'm going <laughs> to, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and spoil it. This is a much better movie than Black Widow was. Uh, and so I, I think that also helps. So, um, yeah, maybe I already spoiled, showed <laughs> a little bit too much of my hand there, but you know, I, I think it goes along with the conversation of whether you should, we should be putting movies in theaters these days or at home as well. And and I think that this shows people are ready for good movies and they're ready for movies that they can take the whole family to and go do stuff with now. Um, and if you keep putting that in front of people and you only give them one choice, they'll get back in the habit of going to the movies and enjoying it. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I mean, to me, mm-hmm. it's a no-brainer at this point. I think Shang-Chi has is, is proven once and for all that th- the model of at home and in the theater release at the same time is not a smart move. Well, and I mean, for one, if you just think about it in a marketing sense, and then I'm going to stop down that trail, but um, you dilute your results from both when you do both mm-hmm. at the same time. Yep. Yep. I agree. I 100% agree. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I. it's just an interesting conversation. It's, it's one that, you know, in the future, people listening to this probably will be like, huh? But... I just think, you know, it, it, this movie has really helped show that. Uh, and I think movies like we talked about Free Guy, those kind of things, it's only available in, in you know, the cinema right now. It's continued to do very well. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's the history lesson here. And the other history lesson is, is that the movie starts with a history lesson mm-hmm. um, to kind of give us a understanding of the Ten Rings and where they come from, and I think some of the big thematic elements that kind of come with the story. And so first I just wanted to ask, you know, when it comes to the history lesson, do you think that that was the right way to start the movie? Absolutely. And the reason why is, for one, I am a fan of K-dramas and J-dramas and, you know, like the Mm -hmm. Korean and Japanese drama shows. And so I'm used to watching things with subtitles anyway. Um, But also because for those of us that 
don't speak these languages, it automatically builds some mysticism into the story. Mm-hmm. And whereas usually I would feel like, oh my gosh, you're giving me so much expositional dialogue. I'd rather you just show me what you want to show me. This works the way that they've done it for me. Yeah, I think that this history lesson and starting off the movie like this is a good way to kind of help us begin to understand the rings themselves. They're not assuming that you know anything about them. And so I think that that's really smart because this is a character and, you know, even a power set that you might not really understand coming into the movie at all, other than the fact that this has a Marvel label on it. This gives you that opportunity to be able to uh, really get what exactly it is about these rings that makes them so special and why they would be so important and, you know, what the kind of the stakes of the movie are going to be, you know, because you understand that now. And, you know, I also think it's really interesting because our quote-unquote villain, uh, Wen Wu, I think what it also shows that it gives us the thematic elements for him of really understanding this bent that he has that corruption of power and there's the thirst for more and that Mm -hmm. his whole life for a thousand years is really devoted to this idea of conquering everything he can conquer always wanting more and it never really being enough and i think that that is an interesting theme in the film and you know just an interesting theme in general that you know You can have all the power in the world. You can have everything that the world can give you from money and it it can still not be enough. And I thought that that was something that was really interesting. And it did make me wish that it was a little bit stronger thematically thread throughout the entire movie. Um, But I think, you know, it's done well enough. It just could have been better. But I was really glad to see that here. And this, this, History lesson is what really opens that up to us, this idea. Um, And it kind of shows very quickly that, yeah, you can have all the power in the world and all the money in the world, and it's it's not really enough to satisfy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it brings up even more like going deeper into that for me, that there's only so much that man can do on our own. Um that, you know, you can constantly try to amass these things that are just things, but there's this element of the intangible things that we can't create and we can't buy that you have to find through your heart and, you know, through um, mm-hmm. the opposite right. of the selfishness that all of those things yep. can buy. Yeah, I mean, can't buy me love, right? I mean, the Beatles yeah. famously say, and that's exactly, I think... Uh, the other, I think, thematic element that begins right here at the beginning of the movie was when Wen Wu meets Ying Li and the fact that they fall in love, right? And she changes his life forever, or at least in quote, spoiler alert, till she dies. Mm-hmm. And that love revolutionizes him. He He finds a whole part of himself that he thought he never knew existed, really, when it came to this idea of love. And um, being willing to give up immortality for love because he found something worth living for and dying for, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think 
that's a really beautiful thing as well. And it, it just made me wish that that those two things, I think, were a stronger thread throughout the entire movie. And especially when it comes to, I really wish that it connected better with Shang and Katie mm-hmm. in their story, you know, um, in the sense that it kind of helped explain and connected with them kind of being together at the end of the movie as well, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, because again, such a great thematic element to be playing with. I just wish that there was a better connection throughout the entire film. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think that they, they could have developed that relationship a little bit more and then also paralleled that with the relationship of his parents um, to show the romantic piece between them. Um but yeah, I'm I'm absolutely with you that I felt like the biggest, most important thing to pull from this movie is that they're showing that money, power, and immortality can only get you so much, and that there's still this piece that he was missing that he never knew he didn't have. Um, mm-hmm. He just knew that there was something he didn't have. Um, yep. And I like, too, that then him falling in love, it's also partly because she is his match. You know, he can't right. defeat her. Right. And so yeah, then she's that not to be conquered. The, right. Right. And it, it also piques his curiosity of no one can beat me. How is this woman beating me? And, you know, mm-hmm. it also, honestly, in a, a society where um, it, we're very familiar with the Chinese culture in a lot of ways um, puts down women. And so them showing this parallel of a strong woman really meant a lot to me and then I'm sure, you know, women in general of giving them more substance in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a real beauty to the idea of having her subdue him. You know, yeah. that his lust for power and need for domination she subdues and helps like overcome and show him something different and show him a new way right not Um, like she's beating him into submission or anything no no uh but 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 to be able when, when i say that i mean she's literally subduing that thirst for more right by satiating that thirst for more in love Mm -hmm. Uh, And and sacrificial love because she sacrifices her power to be with him and he sacrifices his power to be with her. Yep. You know, and so and that's what true love should be, which is the self-sacrificial nature of both parties together. And I think that's something that, again, you do see in this movie um, that when, you know, when Wu is at his best, it's when he's learned to sacrifice all of these things that he could have through the rings for the betterment of himself and for others, which is mm-hmm. his wife and then his children, you know? And so, uh, and it's, it's that lack of understanding, which gets him into a problem later that we'll, we'll get to, but you know, I think it is, it is an interesting way to start the movie because right up front, we're kind of confronting you with, with what, are going to be some big themes throughout the movie. And again, like we mentioned, it is disappointing that 
these two themes don't connect as well with the rest of the film the way I think it should. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the idea of, I think, how love changes lives, you know? Um, and it, And that whole idea could really be moved to, like, the way that both of the children did not feel loved by their father, but obviously they did by their mother mm-hmm. and the abandonment issues. And I just, there's, there's so much there that's really rich. Um, and it only scratches the surface in the movie. And that's, that's a little disappointing to me because I think there's a place to have really pushed that and, and, and made it even stronger. But, you know, it was also really interesting because there's this whole theme of aimlessness in the movie and especially with Katie and Shang, uh, they have this. And there's a quote, you know, from one of the characters to Katie. When they get to Talo and one of the women says to her, you know, you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. And I thought this was really interesting for both of these characters because, you know, we're we're told, you know, how they're really, really smart. And, you know, they basically have so much going for them, they could be whatever they want. And yet... They both park cars for a living as valets, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and they're not aiming at anything. They're, they're aimless in their lives, both of them for different reasons, but they really have not applied themselves and the gifts that they've been given to do anything more because you can't disappoint yourself and or anybody else when, you know, you just are continuing mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought this was an interesting thing to see from them. Um, and it plays out, I think, mostly in Katie's arc, played by Aquafina, but it is also there, of course, in Shang-Chi and, you know, the, the arc we see for him um, and basically hiding who he is mm-hmm. and what he's what he can do and what he could do. Uh, and so, yeah, that was that was a really interesting theme in the movie. Yeah, the biggest thing that I got from the two of them was that they were both hiding from who they really are in good ways and bad ways. Um, You know, like you, you can't hide from your past and then also Mm -hmm. don't suppress your capabilities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's um, with Shang-Chi, he's trying to run away from his upbringing and just become a new person. Like I, I did think that scene of her going, wait, so you went into hiding and changed your name from Shang to Sean. Mm-hmm. Ooh, big change. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just basically calling him out of like, you can't hide from who you are and you're not very good at it. <laughs> um, yeah. But she's also kind of doing the same thing of like, I think they do put on a, a good way of her showing that there's a lot expected of her. Because mm-hmm. they want her to go out and get a better job, and they also want her to find a son, you know, a man and get married. And she's just like, you know, I hope maybe today I'll make you proud. But um, saying a lot in the little that she says to her family. So yeah, I mean, I, no, I. It's really interesting because you know when she's having that conversation, it, the whole idea of like you know aiming at nothing. You know, she talks about this whole idea of the f- for her. 
you know, she tries new things, you know, and she gets mildly good at them and she just kind of quits, you know, and then goes on to something else instead of really applying herself to be something, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and make herself something. And I think, you know, it, 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 it's a great theme, I think, for our, the generations that we've seen in the last few years where it's like, you know, we see so many people not willing to take a risk and apply themselves because of fear of failure or maybe not being good enough or finding out that they're not good enough in that, you know? Yeah. And I think this is kind of a good lesson for that, you know, that it might happen a little bit way too quickly in the movie, especially with Katie, you know, finding out she's apparently a great archer. Um, But part of that is just having not really tried anything, you know, and, and, not really applying oneself, you know, and especially with all of the brilliance that we know apparently they do have. Now, I will say it's a little frustrating in the movie that they just tell us things about Sean and Katie instead of showing us. Like, we never really see an an indication of how smart they are. Right. Yeah. We hear a lot about their past and their degrees in school and stuff, but never actually get a flashback to show evidence. Right, or or just even really, I think, have a place in the movie where they have to think their way out of something, you know? I mean, this movie, they pretty much end up having to just punch their way out of things. And, you know, I think that's a little disappointing, um, you know? But, um, yeah, I, I think, too, I wanted to ask you, obviously, these two characters are pivotal to the movie. And so how do you think, you know, both of the actors did here in their respective roles? I thought they were great. I think it, it was really interesting getting to see Aquafina again in a movie this big, but also a more serious role. Because, you know, in um, the Jumanji movie, Aquafina mm-hmm. was in that, but um, was it was more of a comedy, let's be honest. Um, oh, yeah. So this was really different to see her in. And, and I like how they gave her agency, just like they did to Shang's mom. Um, but I thought that the two of them, although they did great with what they were given, I wish that the story had given a little bit more to their relationship developing more than into a romance Mm -hmm. because it seemed like that's what they were leading you toward anyway and then not really giving you the the result i guess right yeah no i can completely agree with that i think they both did a great job i'd actually call out aquafina as the person who i think made the most of her role and uh, you know and anytime you needed her to get serious i think she was able to get serious really well you know, mm-hmm. um, I think she had some really subtle, you know, even facial expressions or anything that was really, really good. Um, Sim Lu, I think, was great as Saint Chi. I, I had no issues with him. I, I, the only thing I would say is that it is disappointing to me that, you know, for this arc uh, for him, his transformation from being somebody who is going to be the guy who's going to go kill his dad because that's what his dad created him to be to being the one who's going to try and maybe more like save his dad isn't done very well. And and I, yeah. I rewatched the movie today. Um, I went to theater to see it again because I saw it opening weekend and then gone for a week. And, and so I wanted a chance to kind of sit with the movie again. And I was just disappointed because we really don't get the opportunity to exactly understand 
why. You know, I get that it's because of his, the spirit of his mother, which resides in in in, in the great, you know, warrior, um, the the dragon, uh, and that almost confrontation with that that spiritual power that has helped protect, you know, this this village in this realm that was so closely tied with his mother and her power, but. There's this whole like section in the movie about like being both your mother and your father that you're everything that came before you. You're not mm-hmm. a product of just nothingness that you that we in and of ourselves we are what our families have made us, right? You know, and the the theme of what our families have made us is so strong in the movie and yet his transition from just being the person that was more like his dad to being the person who's a combination of his dad and his mom and both of their teachings doesn't play out well enough for me which is really disappointing because i think that's a very strong thematic element to this film of giving light the idea that no we are not born in a vacuum and we are not people in a vacuum that we are a combination of the ways in which you know we've been raised and our families and the sins of the past you know that that still haunt us and how all those things play out in our lives and consequences and everything it's all great i just wish especially for shang chi that that turn had been more pronounced and more well thought out Yes, I I can see exactly that. I think it really became apparent for me as well in the scene where he's having the final fight with his father before the turn is technically supposed to happen. Um, It did feel like Shang-Chi is coming into that ready to do what he's got to do, supposedly, and possibly have to kill his father. But then you don't really feel, like you were saying, that really pronounced change of him having like a moment of realization maybe that he can't kill his father because Mm -hmm. he still cares for him. And he's still, you know, the man that helped raise him and is half of who he is. I do wish that had been stronger Um, because then it also would have given a little bit more meaning to his father's sacrifice. Um, Right. But I do think at least they, they gave a little bit of that to me with the facial expressions of the actors. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it is it is there and it's tied up very closely with, you know, this whole idea of living life with a closed fist or an open hand. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a very big part of Shang-Chi's story of, of and the difference between his mother and his father and, and where they get their power from, right? She lives a very open life, one connected to all of nature. And he lives a very controlling life, one of trying to dominate everything in his path. And they have this brief moment of life, as we talked about, where he's not trying to do that anymore. Where he's he is much more open. And then once she's gone, he goes back to his old ways, which is, uh, you know, to to try and control everything. Mm-hmm. And I again, that's a really strong thematic element, and it should have played specifically and it does a little bit because of when you know he gets trained by his his aunt nan but 
we don't really there's never that like you said there's never that moment other than when he kind of faces the dragon in the water mm-hmm. where he kind of comes out different and i don't think that that's enough to really accentuate the turn in the way that it needs to be accentuated to make him becoming who he's supposed to be really clear and that's Mm-hmm. Really strange when the movie is called Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Right. <laughs> you would think that his arc would actually be the strongest in the movie, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, I thought, I, I guess I don't feel quite as strongly as you do about it, but I, I get that. Um, yeah. I did think well, no, that Well, no, I mean, I mean, it's okay. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I, I thought his um, training with his aunt was a really great addition and showing of that balance of his father and his mother's sides of how they use their power. Um, and I like that it showed him, you don't know everything, you know, there's another way to do things. And uh, it's, it's not all about how hard can I fight someone off, but rather how can I outsmart them? And like you said, you know, how can I be more open to learning new things and realizing that I don't know everything? So I thought that I thought that was redeeming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with you. I think that was an excellent scene with them. And it was, you know, one that was really glad was a a part of the movie uh, and obviously really helps with that. Those thematic elements, especially with like, you know, we're talking about the idea of, you know, uh, living life with the close fish or the open hand and of course Michelle Yeoh can be in, in anything she wants because she's amazing and yes. I only just wish she had been in the movie more just because she's so fantastic and I'd watch her in anything yeah well and I mean bringing it back around full circle she was in a Bond film and she yep. was also in one of my favorite films of all time Memoirs of a Geisha and a million other things so yeah she yeah. was great so good so good one thing I did want to ask you, too, was the way in which they do, you know, we have the history lesson at the beginning, which I think, you know, works really well. But then we have this backstory that's intercut throughout the entire movie, um, really starting when they're on the plane, for the most part, where you kind of see, uh, you know, Shang telling the story to Katie. And then from then on, you're going to get these flashback moments that kind of help explain certain moments. And I wanted to ask you how you felt that worked in the movie and if yeah, how did that work for you? I think it could have been done a little better. It felt too separated by too much things in between mm-hmm. each flashback to kind of then cause confusion. Um, because I think that when you're showing them losing their mom and then trying to come back around later and show, oh, the part that you didn't know was happening was... You know, she was saying these things to him. It just felt like it was too far apart for me to really feel the mm-hmm. weight of what it was supposed to feel. Did you feel that way? That's an interesting way to put it. That the, the, the weight wasn't there mainly just because of the way that it's done. And I, I was thinking about that too with you know watching the movie again today, and I. Th- I think I agree with you, and I wanted to propose something to you. Would the movie have worked better 
if it had been more linear in the sense of that after the history lesson that we basically saw a little bit of their life together as a family. Those scenes, you know, with them training as a family, having fun as a family, and then having his past show up again to to do them in. Do you think might have helped all of that? Because, and the reason I say that, it's supposed to be this big reveal or something, you know, like when, to Katie, when he punches the guy on the bus. But we all know that's coming because we've seen it in the trailer, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's no surprise that Shang-Chi is going to be this fighter, right? Because that's the whole point of the movie. So, It almost feels as though if we had all of that knowledge going into the rest of the story, it would help because we would know that Shang is lying to Katie. We would know um, who he is and what he's he's denying himself from being. You know, it make all of those thematic elements even stronger in that way. And and I I I just feel as though. Too many movies these days are relying on having flashbacks to which they need to help explain a certain thing in in the story instead of maybe just creating things more linearly uh, and allowing the movie progress that way. I'm sure people will be yelling at me going, Matt, you love, you know, Batman Begins and you love Man of Steel where they do that too. And to that, I'd say... But those are characters that we already know very, very well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're in the cultural zeitgeist in a way that Shang-Chi isn't. And so I think a better foundation for the character by allowing the backstory to have not been in flashback form, but be in a more linear fashion might have actually helped. And then I think you could cut back by showing us a moment that we didn't see in the beginning in the sense of showing us a part of it that our perspective that we didn't see. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be even stronger because we'd been like, Oh, I thought I already knew that moment, but I didn't, there was something that they, you know, so I don't know. Would that, do you feel like that might've worked better? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause when you were saying that I was immediately thinking it needs to instead, um, of the Witcher treatment, where it's that, you know, going back and showing you something from a different perspective, they needed mm-hmm. to tell it in a chronological format, and then mm-hmm. possibly go yep. back once or twice and show you a flashback later. But it does feel like it's too many mixing ins of present day and flashbacks and then not even flashbacks to one particular time in their childhood but multiple different times in their childhood mixed in together mm-hmm. right and then it's well, also from and, the brother's point yep. of view and the sister's point of view yep. and the, yeah it's a lot well and in the storyline like especially when he's telling the story to her on the plane you see a her his sister but that's not his story to tell so it seemed mm-hmm. strange that we saw his sister training, which she's going to tell, you know, Katie later on the story how she learned. But it doesn't make sense for that to be a part of the flashback that he's telling Katie. Because right. He, how would he know? You know? Yeah. Well, and and I, I, it's not that he wouldn't necessarily know, but it's like that's he's literally talking as we're seeing the flashback. Mm-hmm. 
but we should be seeing his perspective, not her perspective. Because in right. that moment, that's her perspective. And he doesn't even mention something like, oh, well, my sister wasn't allowed to train. And, you know, so it it just, it does not really make sense. And so, um, yeah, I, again, I completely agree with you. I love your idea. Like this idea, yes, tell things more chronologically. Um, and then you can intersperse some flashbacks, you know, but the way it does here, it, it doesn't feel as clean as it could be and or as as impactful as it could be for the story, especially when we as the audience then would be sitting with this whole, whole time is like, but Shang is lying. Yeah. Shang isn't who. Uh, and we, then we have a stronger sense that Shang isn't who he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. He's somebody who has become a murderer. He is more like his father. He's living this life. So the scare is almost like. Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi, where he comes in wearing black and he chokes those Gamorrean guards. Is Luke going to go bad? You know, is yeah. Shang going to choose? You know, I mean, obviously we know at the end, but it, I mean, it creates a lot more tension, I think. Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad that you mentioned, too, the reveal of or is supposed to be a reveal of him having this power in general um, with the amulet in the beginning doesn't feel like a reveal because of the way that they've told the story. It, we already know coming into this what to expect of Shang-Chi's abilities. Yeah. So then especially not telling it in a chronological format, you're going, well, yeah, of course that's going to happen. Yeah, 100%. Um, you, you mentioned something uh, I thought was really great with our outline and just the different ways in which these three characters specifically uh, deal with loss and... Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was was really interesting, you know, um, because they all have their ways of grieving. You know, when Wu goes right back to his ways of, of like, I'm going to control the world because it was when I let go of controlling the world that this bad thing happened. Mm -hmm. You know, Shang joins his father in their mission until he can't do it anymore, which leads him to also to then abandon his sister. Um, and his sister becomes somebody who has the proclivities of her father of wanting to create an empire, you know, and uh, find some way to control, you know, on her own without anybody because she's learned that nobody, she can't really trust anybody, right, to take mm -hmm. care of her. Right. Uh, and so I really like that you pull that out because, yeah, this is one of those ways in which each of these people deal with grief and all of them are terrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> the wrong choice is made by everyone involved. And I'm glad that you mentioned that too about their father blaming everything happening mm -hmm. on letting go of his power. You know, well, it was, it was letting go that then caused this to happen to me. Mm -hmm. So clearly I need to be in control again. When really what he needed to realize was that no one's ever completely in control of everything and that yeah. there will always be something that you don't have. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that, you know, they, all three of them dealt with it in their own unique way and come to realize that they did it wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And that especially with his sister, you know, it, she, she's spiteful. You know, she he says, you left us for dead. And she says, now you know how it feels to her brother. Um, mm -hmm. And then how she's constantly trying to build this empire and show that she can do anything that a man can do and things like that, which is not in itself a bad thing. But 
mm-hmm. she's all about selfishness and being on her own and saying the only person you can depend on is yourself and she can't even do that yep 100 percent. which you know brings us to their father and and in many ways i thought it was interesting that he has this kind of anakin skywalker syndrome and he kind of has this and he does have this inability to take responsibility for his actions that have led him to where he is kind of blames everybody else for his problems, right? Like he won't Mm -hmm. take responsibility for the fact that it's his choices that lead to his kids and his wife, you know, uh, being attacked and his wife dying. It's the sins of his past that which he's, he is unwilling to truly kind of repent of that lead him to this place. And I thought, you know, that's such a strong statement, which is, no, there are consequences for our actions. You know, he blames everybody in Talo as well, you know, because, oh, if, if they had just let us in, you know, we would be living there and none of this would have happened. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think to me that's f- beautiful and wonderful to see in this movie because this is what happens in, in a world where people are not willing to take responsibility for their own actions, where they're not willing to take uh responsibility of themselves as to you know what's what's happened um and and the cause of what's happened in their life you know Mm -hmm. um that they are the cause of what's happened in their life it isn't it isn't anybody else's problem uh and so yeah i just i i really thought that was Really well done, and of course, uh, Tony the Young is—he was fantastic in this movie, mainly because oh, yeah. I think he does such a great job of of playing both sides of this character. Who he can be loving, he can choose to be loving, he can choose to let go, and yet he he continues to make uh, his the wrong choice, you know. And mm-hmm. so I, I think it's really really interesting. So he does show so much depth to this character and especially that transition from being the loving father who's holding his newborn baby to then hardening his heart again when his wife dies and feeling that he has nothing, even though he's still got his two children that should be a reflection of what he had before. Um, And I, I like that they show him as well. Like I said, in the end, his, facial expression depicting out how he feels Mm -hmm. that he's finally getting this redemption moment that he's realized what really matters is his children and Mm -hmm. he could still save them and let go of all of the power that he's trying so desperately to hold on to in order to protect them. You know, it's not until he, realizes that he's been fooled by the dementor of lies, you know, mm-hmm. that, which is really what this thing is. This whole thing, again, is 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 played out perfectly um, in the same way that the Emperor plays Anakin Skywalker, right? You know, I will give you the power to, to save the one you love, you know, and it's mm-hmm. the exact same promise. He believes he's going to save his wife and he's willing to do that at any cost, right? It doesn't matter the cost. And that idea of a closed fist in an open hand, this is where I think that theme plays in perfectly and, and is the clearest one throughout the entire film 
because his whole life has been the closed fist. Mm -hmm. And it's only at the end where he opens his hands and he gives the rings to his son in a realization that it's the only thing he has left to do because keeping his fist closed will only cause the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like his greed and his lust for power and his lust to hold on to things that which he shouldn't be trying to hold on to is what have caused this moment. And so a father's reasons here, I think it makes him one of the stronger villains in the MCU because there is a side of you that can understand what he's going through. You know, mm -hmm. that he he did have this wife that had helped him, like, kind of change who he was. And then losing that, he can't continue on that track. You know, he, he, he doesn't, he chooses not to continue on that track. He chooses his old ways. And, um, yeah, I, I really, I think in the end, he has the strongest arc in the movie, I would say. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. You know, like we were saying before, it's called Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, but you feel like it's really more his father's journey that changes mm -hmm. and that he goes from being a person that it, it came back to me just now when he constantly says a blood debt must be paid in blood. He's constantly the eye for an eye person and the vengeful person. And he realizes that yeah. age-old saying of, you know, if you go seeking revenge, you should dig two graves because mm -hmm. you're just doing yourself in as well. Yep. 100%. 100%. So uh, quickly, you know, we had the quote-unquote the Mandarin back with Trevor from Iron Man 3 here. Mm -hmm. And I, did did you think that that was well done and helped kind of tie those events into this and kind of help them all make sense? Yeah, I actually thought that was great because, for one, I love Ben Kingsley. Um, and I also saw him in uh, Tuck Everlasting. I don't know if you remember he did that, too. But mm -hmm. he's a really kind of ubiquitous actor anyway. But he did such a great job, I think, in bringing some comedy to a situation that was kind of hard to explain. Um, and then also kind of justifying the way that they've handled it in this movie um, and saying that the term the Mandarin is kind of a stereotype. Mm -hmm. And so they're showing that they're trying to move on from that and kind of give a renaming as well. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was a very fun way to handle all that. And, uh, you know, he makes for some good comic relief, you mm -hmm. know, uh, so, and, and he as can does pretty much our namesake, the monster named Morris. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he absolutely does. So no, yeah. Ben, and Ben Kingsley can be in whatever he wants. He's so great. Like you said, so a hundred percent agree with you. Um, I, you know, the other arc I think is, is the sister's arc. That's really strong here. And Menger Zhang is so good as his sister. Uh, and I, I, it's interesting because I think she has the second strongest arc in the movie. Um, and I really love kind of watching her kind of come into her own. And, 
you know, she has the abandonment issues by her father and her brother and this this whole um, making something of herself. And so by the time at the very end, you know, where we get to the stinger at the very end of the movie where she set herself up as the head of the Ten Rings and recreated it in her image, which is to be this more, you know, egalitarian Ten Rings, um, I, I think it's really fascinating. And I loved her in the movie i liked the actress a lot she reminded me a little bit of knives from (laughs) uh the scott pilgrim versus the world Mm -hmm. uh you know same type of haircut and even looked very similar to uh the actress who, who played knives as well um so but i i again she was the second strongest arc in the movie and you know tying it back to that again she she had the second strongest arc because she was well put together. I think that her character is really fleshed out in a way that Shang-Chi isn't as much, um, that she's got these motivations of the abandonment and trying to find her way when she feels like she has no worth. Um, and makes something of herself, even though it's not a great thing. Um, you know, she still is kind of the opposite of Katie because she's not trying to just hide out and get by aimlessly. She's going out and making something of herself. Yes. Everybody else be damned. <laughs> yep. So it's 100%. like, yeah. So I love that they have that moment too, where Katie's like, I respect that. You know, like, hey, you did something. It it wasn't a great idea, but you did something. So I'm I respect you. Yep. And yep. and I like that they have her say, you know, my father wouldn't let me train with all of the mm-hmm. other male students and my brother. I was always viewed as less than him and that, you know, he mm-hmm. was going to be the heir to all of this as well. And I'm yep. just left over here alone and I'm not going to let that happen. Yep. hundred percent. Uh, no, I, I just loved, you know, I really did. I loved her arc in the movie and, you know, I thought it was uh, just fantastic. And, and I'm, you know, as we see uh, her, you know, the fact that she's going to be back, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's fantastic. I agree. And I think that she was awesome. I think the actress did a really great job with it. And I liked the look that they gave her. Actually, the the weapon that she uses reminds me of... um Oh gosh, what's his name from Mortal Kombat that has the mm-hmm. same oh, yeah, weapon? A scorpion. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So, um, I I wanted to ask you about this too. Uh, obviously, you know it's a big Marvel movie, and um, you know having uh the the whole idea of action is a big deal. Uh, and so, what did you think of the action here in this movie? Uh, especially since it's our first time to kind of be in, you know, the the Eastern style of of fighting and, you know, really playing with, you know, kind of like House of Flying Daggers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I thought that it was good for the most part. I think sometimes they got a little too crazy with the camera movement to where you're trying to figure out what it is you're looking at. But... I do think that they did a great job of showing a tribute sort of uh, to Bruce Lee um, and all of the, you know, 
kung fu movies of the past of bringing out the martial arts in full force, um, having some cool weapons to use, and showing that this movie was a, a tribute to those things without ripping it off, basically. Mm-hmm. What did you think? You know, no, I, I, so I'm really interested to hear you say that because I think that the action at the beginning of the movie and the first fight scenes are fantastic. You know, the one on the bus is really good, you know, and part of that is because they're really keen on not quit cutting. Mm-hmm. They want to show you that these characters are doing these movements in the uh, martial arts themselves. Like, you know, in a kung fu movie, the whole point is to see the action. And so you're doing longer shots, you know, where you're actually seeing these characters go through this fight choreography uh, that looks brutal and, and awesome. And so you're really trying to do that. And I think they do a really good job of that with the bus. They do a great job of that in Macau on the side of the the building mm-hmm. um and the fight scene that he has um with his ex-trainer you know his dad's ex-trainer there in macau as well it's a great scene i i think what the problem becomes it, for the action is that by the end of the movie uh we go into the marvel and and you know many comic book movies which is it just becomes a huge cgi fest right and the action gets real muddy especially when they're just flying around on these huge like dragon like things and you know even the fight with his dad isn't as good either the the fight that you want to be very personal and very you know well choreographed and well shot is not as well done as it needs to be to really i think get you you know um it it, be, it there's too much CGI in it instead of just the the beautiful kung fu, even the kung fu wire that you know we we know works beautifully and and can be amazing. You know, I mean, watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or you know, House of Flying Daggers, those type of films where it's just really beautiful stuff. Um, there's just less of that long shot because too much of this is just a CGI fest. Mm-hmm. And that's disappointing because the very beginning of the movie, especially with the bus fight, was really good. Now, the CGI throughout this movie is not great throughout the whole thing. Yeah. You know, uh, especially, you know, even as cool as the fight sequence is on the bus, the CGI around the fight sequence isn't great. I mean, you, and I would say, too, uh, for the action and the end of the film, I never, ever feel like I'm in a real place when they're in Talo. Like, it never feels real. It always feels really fake. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a real problem um, for the film itself. Like, you you need... And what's weird is that, you know, The Mandalorian, for the most part, is a television show, and I can feel really connected with that, and it never feels as like fake as Mm -hmm. this does does that make sense yeah that makes sense i i feel like they could have even put together shots of a real bamboo forest kind of mixed in with the effects and made that look less fake you know Mm -hmm. i mean it's not that hard to find a bamboo forest we have them in atlanta (laughs) um but yeah, I think and maybe that's what bothered me most about the 
bus scene as well was the fighting was good, but the effects were subpar to me. And it, mm-hmm. and it feels more ridiculous than something that you can really get on board with. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just one of those things like, you know, when they're standing there having these conversations, you know, and Talo and they're, you know, with his his dad, him and him standing there or, you know, any of the creatures in Talo, you know, mm-hmm. most of them don't look real at all. Um, what was with the giant lions? Yeah, they looked like Aslan from yeah. the Chronicles of Narnia, like <laughs> years ago. Looked way better than that. Yeah, uh, and so uh, that's that's the, yeah. I don't understand uh, at all. Um, and so yeah, it, it's very strange to me. Um, so it, it is disappointing that the action kind of throughout the entire thing can't stand up to the beginning of the film where they were really, it seemed to be, they were taking a lot of care to try and make this a movie that, that fit within the Kung Fu action film genre. And uh, this one kind of does for the first two thirds of the movie. And then by the final third, it just almost let it, it, it lets go of those. And, uh, it goes to, you know, what we've seen in every single Marvel movie, which is just a lot of CGI work. And, you know, um, it's disappointing. Like this was some of the better action. I feel like I've seen in the Marvel universe Mm -hmm. since maybe, Captain America Winter Soldier, you know, like those fight scenes were incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though there's a big CGI thing at the end of that, the fight there is very personal, right? You know, between Cap and Bucky. Yeah. And, you know, this is what, that's what I want. Let's put it that way. That's what I wanted from this fight between his, the, the father and son. That's what I think this fight needed to be. Yeah. It needed to be much more hand to hand rather than all the effect work added in yeah 100 percent. so well you know i'm really fascinated then you know i I think we've had a lot of really interesting things to just talk about with the movie which is always good so i am wondering kind of where you're going to come down on shang chi and the legend of the ten rings with your ratings so really i would say that overall it's got a lot of good things going for it I really think that the story had to be strong, especially like we were saying at the beginning, coming into a completely unknown character to most people. Um, And then also wondering where it fits into what we know of the rest of the MCU. MCU. Um, So I, I, I do think that there are a few things that could have been done differently. I would have preferred better effect work especially like we said in the bus scene um, and maybe not so much leaning on the fantastical elements toward the end with the dragons and the birds and lions and such. I think that you could have even gone with the powers being more nature based and cut those out completely. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, overall I think that the family story here is really strong 
even with the pluses and minuses. And mm-hmm. I, I end up giving it a seven out of 10 um, rope with a dragon scale at the end thingies. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you call it. Kind of like a grappling hook, but not. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think the thing that stood out to me about this Marvel movie and um, I was listening to a podcast and, you know, they mentioned the idea. Um, and so this is not original to me, but the, the idea of that Marvel in many ways has become homework. Like you just have to watch this thing so you can watch the next thing so you can watch the next thing. And I think one of the things that I really gravitated toward this movie is that um, instead of it feeling like that, I felt like we had kind of gone back to some of the earlier Marvel movies, um, you know, especially within uh, phase one, where we were focused more on characters and developing characters and their stories. Like I felt like even though uh, we called out some things with like with Shang-Chi and, you know, his storyline and maybe him not necessarily feeling like he got as strong a character development as he could have if they had done his story in more. And I think it would have been stronger in chronological order. Um, Absolutely. I think it would have been stronger if you had done it in chronological order, but we were still giving him motivation. You know, we were still Mm -hmm. showing, you know, what kind of made this character who he is. And we were like, that seemed to be more of the focus of the story other than, oh, look at this next thing that and and that's going to have a big, huge impact on the Marvel Universe. It was it was more like, hey, we're going to introduce to you like a whole new section of the Marvel Universe. And therefore, you know, we're going to have some connections here and there. We're going to kind of like I mean, there's there's the little connection to um the blip, you know, having happened. And somebody even mentions the idea of, you know, people getting their, you know, having their fingers snap and, you know, losing half the population and that kind of stuff. So there are those mm-hmm. little connections. Or we have, you know, Wong from the movie uh, Doc, uh, Doctor Strange. Strange you know, yeah. We, yeah, we've got all that. But th- those aren't the focus of the movie. You know, the focus of the movie here is Shang-Chi and Talo and the relationship between father son and daughter and that's really the focus of the movie and i think that's where marvel excels better is when it's more worried about characters than plot Mm -hmm. and because this movie has more character development than just plot development for the overall mcu i'm right there with you i you know i'd say i would give this seven out of ten as well uh or uh you know 3.75 out of 5. So it does kind of lose a quarter of a star because of... And I mean, it could even be more like half a star, honestly, but I'll be more generous um, because of those elements that we talked about, where I just felt like it needed to be stronger. And what I really think needed to happen is somebody to make another pass through the script so that you could connect all of those thematic elements stronger. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that they should have, you know, gone with a more chronological storytelling uh, yeah. of the story. Um, and it's interesting too, because um, the director of this movie is, is one that and I've really enjoyed uh, his other work, Destin Daniel Crenton, I really have enjoyed his his other work. Um, you know, he's he's done some great stuff. Um, whether uh, it was 
Short Term 12, uh, which is really good. I enjoyed Just Mercy that he did as well. And so, uh, you know, I, I've enjoyed uh, some of the movies that he's done. And those are movies, especially Short Term 12, um, which starred Brie Larson. It is all about character um, and character development. And so I know he can do that. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is that I wish that they had allowed him to push this to be even more personal. Mm-hmm. And lean into the character development even more so because I know that he could do that type of movie really well. Kind of makes me worried for the Eternals with Chloe Zhao uh, and that she's just going to be kind of forced into the Marvel mo- mold instead of allowing to really do something interesting and different. So, uh, but yeah, all in all, I uh, where we came from, and where we are now, I was so shocked to come into this and, and really have enjoyed this movie. And I've seen it twice now, and I would I I'll watch it again. Like I'll Yay. I mean, I'm not buying Black Widow on disc or anything, but I'll buy this because I'll enjoy watching it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, absolutely. But um well with that rating, Christy, it's now time for recommendations. And so what are you gonna be recommending to everybody this week? So I'm going to go a little off script today. And um, I know that it's kind of funny because I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I'm not recommending a particular book or TV show or something this time. I just want to remind people that as much as we love that stuff here, and that is what we talk about all the time, don't forget that there is a world outside of your screen. And that's what I did this weekend. And I know that's what you did on your vacation, Matt. Um got outside and saw nature. And um, so I'm going to recommend visiting a zoo you've never visited before, because that's what I did yesterday. And it was awesome. I got to see a lot of really exotic animals I wouldn't usually see. Um, For example, capybaras and African porcupines. And I even got to play with mini pigs, if you saw my Instagram. So... That's what I'm recommending today. Go play with animals. Be outside. Nice. Yeah, I love that. Um, and like you said, I, I did uh, go on vacation to Alaska and, and 100% agree with you. You know, uh, being in the wilderness uh, was wonderful. Uh, and I, I totally enjoyed, you know, uh, and I tried to spend, you know, less time on my uh, technology and way more time uh, just enjoying nature. And it was it was fantastic. So 100% agree with you there. Um I'm going to recommend uh, Apple Plus has a new show coming out called Foundation, which is based off of Isaac Asimov's uh, Foundation series, which is a very classic sci-fi book. And I have been rereading that first book in the series uh, as we look towards that that new show coming out. Uh, And so I'm going to recommend going to uh, read that book. Um, It's fantastic uh, and really interesting. So well done. Um, I'd say it's another book that uh, has some very interesting and pointed uh, looks at our own world now. Um, And and there's parts of it where I'm like, oh, wow, you know, was he... (laughs) Did he know, uh, have an inclination of where we're, we might be going? So, uh, no, just fantastic. I love doing that. I love, you know, uh, rereading these type of things and, and having these kind of things show up. Um, and it's just good to read a good book, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, as opposed to 
screens, you know, I highly recommend picking up a book like that. And so I'm going to recommend, um, you know, going with the first foundation book, especially with that new series that is going to come out that does look like it could be really good. So, um, but with those recommendations, Christy, uh, you know, when you're not here in the 602 Club, where else can people find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And you're right, when I'm not here, I do have another show uh, called Sabers and Spells that I do with my friends Amanda and Teresa. And we've been on a little bit of a break because Amanda got married. But we are going to be coming back soon, uh, end of September, with some new stuff in um, geekdom that we don't usually get to cover. So look for that at Sabers and Spells on all your social media outlets as well. And you could find me, of course, uh, all over social media under Matt Rushing Zero Two. So I hope you'll follow me there and, uh, you know, like me and all that kind of jazz. You know, just love to have a conversation with you there over on social media uh, where good things can happen. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, you can also find me, of course, here on the network. We've got the Snyder Cuts happening in the same feed. So check that out with John Mills. And, of course, Assembling Avengers coming up very soon there in October. So you want to make sure, I guess, you know, you subscribe here because you're getting more uh, for your money. Uh, of course, I've got Literary Treks and the Orb going. Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek and the Orbs about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, and then Chris Jones and I have a nice little surprise coming up for everybody uh, as we get from there to here. So you'll, you'll, it's been a long road, but you're going to be wanting to check that out. So make sure you're following the network. Uh, you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is Aggressive Negotiations. I do that with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. Uh, it is a Star Wars podcast. It's a lot of fun. If you love Star Wars, it's the show for you. And, of course, uh, you could find me uh, with my finished show called Owl Post, where Dre Kaufman and I talk through each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. But... Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Mm-hmm.